Thank you, guys. That last song, that last song is so appropriate for what it is that we're going to be talking about this morning. Is we're going to be looking at John <coughs> 21. Um, Kids can be dismissed, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Matt. I always forget that. <laughs> uh, we're going to be looking at John 21:15 through 19, which is the restoration of Peter, which that last song goes really well together. I just got to tell you guys, I'm just going to tell you right up front, I'm exhausted. <laughs> just like exhausted, but I just want you to know that I am really looking forward to preaching this message to you, and we'll get to that, and you'll know why here in a minute. But you know, being a Christian is a great adventure, isn't it? Like, like what Forrest Gump said, that each day you just never know what you're going to get. You know, in the early 90s, and uh, Matt and I were talking about this earlier, and he always teases me about going back into the early 90s, and I have to tease him and ask him if he actually was born then. And in the early 90s, as young Christians, Sherry and I went to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert. And if you're, are people with me, they know who Stephen Curtis Chapman is? Okay, all right, good. Well, we were in our 30s at the time, and even then we felt like we were some of the oldest people in the concert. But it was a great concert. And one of my favorite songs by Stephen Curtis Chapman is called The Great Adventure. Anyone besides me familiar? Betsy, right on. Anyone? All right, good, good. We're good, all right. All right, well, I want to share with you just a few of the, of the verses, some of the lyrics to that song to kind of get us started. Because this is a, this is a message I'm really excited to preach to you. Says he's, this is the very first verse. He says, started out this morning in the usual way, chasing thoughts inside my head. I thought I had to do today. Another time around the circle, trying to make it better than the last, I opened up the Bible and I read about me. Now, theologically, I know we read about Jesus. He said, I've been a prisoner and God's grace had set me free. And somewhere between the pages, it hit me like a lightning bolt. I saw a big frontier in front of me, and I heard somebody say, let's go. And this is the chorus. This goes good here in La Junta. Saddle up your horses. We've got a trail to blaze. Through the wild blue yonder of God's amazing grace. Let's follow our leader into the glorious unknown. I know Matt's laughing. I can't get through this happy song without crying about it, because this song moved me. Oh, okay. Well, I am doing you all a favor by not singing this song, so that if it's going through your head as Stephen Curtis Chapman, you're welcome. Okay? <laughs> Let's follow our leader into the glorious unknown. This is the life like no other. This is the great adventure. And that's what this life is in Christ, is a great adventure. And this gets me fired up, and, and we need to be ready to go. And this week was definitely, in our life, a great adventure. Not all great, but definitely an adventure. Both of our cars went down this week. One, we had an engine that seized up and failed while Sherry was driving on Highway 71 headed to Lyman. And uh, at our men's retreat, our Nissan got not just one flat tire, but two flat tires. One while we, right when I pulled in, 
to park on Friday night, all of a sudden my tire just went flat, like in seconds. <laughs> and then uh, the next one, after we left, we put the donut on that they give you, and the precarious drive outside of there, uh, making sure the donut doesn't go flat. We get here and, and we unload everything, and Brandon tells me that my other back tire is now flat. So I got it home. But yes, it was a great adventure. God is good no matter what. Through engine failure, through two flats, through whatever is going on in your life this week, who knows? But he is good. And then we had our men's retreat. And I have to tell you, the weather there was less than spectacular, to say the least. It was windy and cold on Friday night. Unfortunately, the forecasters were right. And then on Saturday, it was cloudy and wet and cold. Fortunately, not windy. But I have to tell you, what a joy it was to be with 14 other men pursuing Christ and to learn about them and to see lives changed um, in less than ideal conditions. It just was, I, even as tired as I am from that weekend, I am really running on adrenaline and excited to be here to preach this message to you. I love this passage that we're going to talk about. It is one of my favorites in the whole Bible. This passage is why we're Christians. To me, it is why I am a follower of Christ. Why I chose to be a Christian. Theologically, did I choose? I don't know, Dennis, we can talk about that later. This is a passage that brings out the restoration of sinners to Jesus in a glorious way. So let's read it and get started. John 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, remember last week they had all gathered together and they were having a, they were having a fish fry for breakfast. How awesome would that be? Kind of like our fry that we had, whatever it was. I think it was eggs and hash browns and stuff. Giant breakfast burritos. Imagine Jesus was there too with us. But we think about our men's retreat this weekend. So this, this actually comes to life for me when I read it. And it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray, God, and thanks for your word. Lord, you are awesome. You are great. And this is a beautiful story about who you are and why we're a Christian. Because of you. 
in your beauty and your love for us. You pursue us, even when we not necessarily are pursuing you. Lord, I just pray that this story, this passage, this truth of yours would come out through my mouth today with enthusiasm and power and conviction um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. May these words be your words and not my words. I praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is basically just two different parts. And it's going to be front-loaded. The first few verses is really where the majority of the teaching is going to be. Although the second half of it is also really fun. It's really fun in some ways. Sometimes it's, it's, it's going to be challenging as well. But let's look at the first few verses, 15 through 17. And again, when they, let's just think of the setup here. They're just finishing their fish fry breakfast, you know, on the shore with Jesus. James, John, Nathaniel, Thomas, two of the unnamed disciples, and Peter are present with Jesus. And this is important for us to remember because as Peter's denial and fall from Jesus was so public, so will be his restoration. You might have heard somebody say at one time that, that in, or maybe even assumed when you read it, that Jesus and Peter were talking privately, but that's just not the case. This is a very public restoration that is about to take place in front of all the disciples. And so then there's the question, and this is the question that Jesus asks to Simon Peter. And this is an, it seems like a very simple question, and yet there is so much depth in this question, and there is so much application for us in this question as well as we'll get to. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And before we go any further, we need to ask the question, where do you think Jesus is directing that question? When he says, do you love me more than these, what are those? What is he talking about? Well, I see there's three possibilities. The first one is, is he asking him, does, does Peter love him more than his career as a fisherman? Because remember in the previous passage, they were fishing. That's what they did. And Peter was a fisherman, and he loved to fish. So Jesus might be asking him if he loves him more than his career as a fisherman. Does Peter love Jesus more than his gear, more than his nets, his boat, his lines, his hooks, the catch? And the obvious question for us is, do we love Jesus more than our career, our job, our hobbies, our vacations, the things that we do? The second one is, does, does Jesus say that, do you love me more than these? And does he mean his friends, his other disciples, his brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, I wrote here, Peter, do you love Jesus more than the dudes you hung out with? And I, you know, and as we were in our men's retreat, and I was thinking through the sermon, I mean, I'm thinking of that. Do we love Jesus more than? than any of our relationships that we have with other people. More than our family, more than our kids, more than our significant others, our mothers or fathers. We must love Jesus more than any other relationship that we have. 
And I mention kids because I have seen and possibly even lived it out in my own life where my kids became an idol. And I put their wants and their victories over Christ and following him. And as much as we are to parent our kids and try to do the best that we can for them, Jesus must be number one in our life over them. And even our wives. I ask myself that question too. Do I love Jesus more than Sherry? That's a tough one to answer. The third thing and the most likely thing that Jesus is talking about is, Peter, do you love me more than any of these other disciples love me? In other words, these men who have battled with you for three years with me, do you love me more than they love me? And this seems like a difficult and maybe an unfair question to ask Peter, but when we look back at Peter's proclamations in his life and his actions during his time with Jesus, it's not really that unfair or difficult of a question. Because remember, Peter is the one who said in John 13, 9, when Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, he said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Peter exclaimed in Matthew 17, 17, at the transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus, he said, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then remember, Peter actually had the gall to rebuke Jesus when Jesus told the disciples he was going to have to suffer and die and be raised on the third day. Peter said, far be it from you, Lord, that this should, ever, this should never happen to you. And of course, Peter cut off Malchus's ear in John 18.10 when Jesus was arrested. You see, Peter is always portrayed as the disciple with the most bravado, the big, brave fisherman, a man's man, if you will. Peter always put on a brave face. Peter has always showed himself be, to be the one who would, who would put Jesus aside and would stand in front of him and save the creator of the universe. Which sounds silly, and really it is. But that's Peter. Peter proclaimed publicly that he would never, never fall away from Jesus. And we know that he did. Not just one time, but three times. Just as Jesus predicted that he would. Jesus saw Peter deny him, and when Peter denied Jesus the third time, he looked and he saw Jesus looking at him and was devastated, as any of us would have been. So now Peter is broken. He has been humbled. He is no longer the man who could stand in his own strength, the I, 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 I can do it. Peter was brought low publicly, in front of God and everyone. Remember when Peter denied Jesus the third time again, Jesus looked at him and Peter saw him, look at him. Can you imagine how horrible you would feel inside when you deny your Savior in his time of need and he looks at you and you look at him 
And he knows you failed me. I told you you would. I would be devastated. There would be a point in your life where you would feel humiliated. You have let down your God, your Savior, the one who you gave up everything to follow for three years, and now you've let him down at his greatest time of need. There needs to be a restoration. So Peter's restoration had to be in a public forum because his failures were in front of his disciples, his friends. Peter's restoration was not just for Peter, but it was also for the other disciples so they could see the position that Peter was going to take. And this is not that Peter was going to become the first pope, as some have said in the Catholic Church. Peter was going to be a force for the kingdom. He was not going to be the pope. Just let's get that out of the way right away. And it was Jesus, the risen Savior, our risen Christ, who is the only one who has the authority to restore Peter back to himself. He is the ultimate authority. He is the one who is going to ask, who did ask Peter three times if he loved him. Because Peter publicly denied Jesus three times. And as Jesus was waiting for Peter to answer, and at the end of each of Peter's answers, Jesus gave Peter a command. The first one was to feed my lambs. The second one was to tend my sheep. The third was to feed my sheep. And each of these commands has a pastoral connotation to them. And as Matt and I have said before, as we have learned in the Calvary family and through other people, that there are four basic tasks for a pastor. The first one is to know your flock. The second is to feed your flock. The third is to lead your flock. And the fourth is to protect your flock. And those are the exact things that Jesus was telling Peter to do. This is the command that Peter had. He wasn't going to be the Pope, but he was going to be a powerful shepherd of the people Jesus put in front of him. He was going to be a pastor. He was going to be a shepherd. Now Jesus knows what Peter is going to face as he was going to fulfill the calling that he had been giving this powerful, loving shepherd that he was going to become. He was going to face some really, really difficult things. And as we read further in the Bible through the book of Acts and even in First and Second Peter and other places, you will see that Peter did, in fact, go through incredible difficulty. And so Jesus knew that Peter, in order to be able to fulfill his calling that he had, he needed to be right with Jesus. He could not go off and do this on his own and succeed if his relationship with Jesus was not rock solid. Remember, Peter's broken. He's devastated. He really, his confidence is gone. He is beyond himself. He has failed at the most public, the most high point that anyone has ever failed before. And we know that we have seen this in pastors and leaders. We read about them falling all the time. We talked about this this weekend. And you read about it all the time, and it's just those are the public ones. 
You don't read all about them in everyone in, in the newspaper or on Facebook or wherever. It's happening all over, and it's not just pastors. It's fathers. It's mothers. We all have a moment in time, so this is a lesson for all of us, that we need to understand that Christ must be first in our life. We cannot have anything above Jesus in our life. Jesus must be first. So then Peter answers Jesus and he says, yes, of course I love you. You know that I love you. And if you've ever heard a preacher preach on this passage before, you might have heard them say that Jesus uses one Greek word when he is asking Peter the question, do you love me? And Peter uses a different Greek word answering back. And some people would say that that, that has significance. And some people would say it doesn't have that much significance. But I'm going to tell you this, all right? The word that Jesus uses is agape, which, as you know, if you've been a Christian a long time, you've heard people talk about agape, and that's God's love, right? But I just want you to understand, this is a deep, deep love, is what Jesus is asking Peter. Do you love me with everything that you have? And Peter answers back with phileo, which, of course, is the word that we get the city of Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. But let's not get hung up on that too much because that word also, in response back to Jesus, is yes, I love you deeply and affectionately. I love you with what I have. Now, I will say this on this subject, that I know, f- as many of us do, if you've studied the word for a long time, God is in the details. And if he had John write one word for love from Jesus' mouth, the Lord, and had Peter use a different word, then there is some significance in that. Peter is broken. Jesus may be asking him, you know, do you love me with a deeper sense of love than what Peter could possibly give back to him? Because remember, Peter's broken. He's not restored yet. So I believe that there is significance in the fact that there are two different words that are being used there until we get to the third question when Jesus asks him the third time because he had asked Peter agape twice and Peter responded with phileo twice now in the third question Jesus asks him phileo do you love me because that's the way Peter answered back and Peter's grieved Peter's grieved why would Peter grieved it's because he had to be asked a third time I think in his mind he started to see what was happening here and he realizes that oh Jesus is asking me this and I can't respond that way I can respond yes I do love you you know all things you know I love you Jesus And, of course, we know Jesus does know that Peter loves him. I want you to know that this is a beautiful moment, and I don't want us to miss this, because Peter is now fully repentant and is being fully restored by Jesus. And this will be confirmed as we get to the end of our passage in in verse 19. 
we will see in a moment the significance to Peter of what this means for the rest of his life going ahead. Christ, Christ has reconciled himself to Peter and he has allowed this strong, boisterous fisherman who has been so full of himself sitting across from him at a campfire before all the disciples and is restoring him so that everyone could see the love that Jesus has for not only Peter, but also for them. That he has the authority. He, so I want us to keep in mind here, this is Jesus pursuing restoration with Peter. Notice Peter is not asking to be restored by Jesus. And there is a significance in this. Jesus is the one who pursues us. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And Peter probably was so broken by his sin and his failure, he felt like Jesus would not want to have that relationship with him. And so Jesus took the initial step to restore him. Some of us here today, we may feel as though that we have sinned so greatly in our lives that Jesus would never want to have anything to do with us. I hope that you see from this section right here that that is further from the case. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. And if you are here today and you're hearing this message, you can see that Jesus is pursuing after you. And he is asking all of us the question, do you love me more than these? And I have to tell you, this has been a difficult thing for me sometimes. When I put it, as I was studying this and putting it in context for myself and listening to that question being asked of me, Scott, do you love me more than all these things that are laid out before you? Do you love me more than Sherry? Do you love me more than Casey and Lindsay, my two daughters? More than being a pastor elder at Calvary? More than your comfort? More than having four working tires on your car? And I would like to be able to tell you that I could answer to that question, yes, I do, every moment of every day. But to be honest with you, I don't think I can. I don't think my life would show that. And like all of us here today, I am a work in progress. And I need to work through this as we all do. All of us here, not just me, but I am sure all of us here today know that we have something in our life that we are holding ahead of Christ. And if there is something... Even if it is our sin, because let's not, let's, let's not kid ourselves. It's not just things. It's not just careers. It's not just relationships. Sometimes, and many times, in fact, probably most times, we love our sin more than we love Jesus. And we do not want to put it away. We do not want to kill it. Because we love it. We sin because we love sin. We love the short-term pleasure that smoking that joint gives us. 
sticking that needle in her arm, taking that drink, clicking on that website. The feeling of anger and the release that we get, the comfort we get when we say a certain word when we get angry. We love those things more than we love Jesus. And so let's look in the mirror and ask ourselves, if we love those things so much more than Jesus, how can Jesus love us so much more? And yet, through this passage we see that he does. He gives us an opportunity to come to him. And he's asking us through his word, do you love me more than these, including your stinking, rotten sin? Because I love you so much. I took that on myself, and I died on that cross, and I shed my blood. And I am risen, and I am sitting before you in front of that campfire, in the rain at picket wire or wherever it is. And I'm asking you, do you love me more than anything else in the world? What is your answer? And we see that Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What is your answer? What, what is my answer? And then we see that after Peter is asked and answered these questions and Jesus gives him those three tasks to do his mission. In the next couple verses, as we get closer to the end here, we see that there is a price for following Christ. There is a cost to pay. Following Christ is not free. Yes, becoming a Christian, you know, we can say that it's easy. You give your life to Jesus. You accept him as your Lord and Savior. You ask for forgiveness, you repent from your sins, and you've punched your ticket for heaven, or so we think. I want you to understand something, that your salvation is not based on your works. But as you should hopefully know if you've been in this church for a while, that pursuing a life with Christ, being a follower of Jesus, is costly. It is not free. Jesus didn't die for nothing. And he expects us to die to ourselves as well. To take up our cross and follow him. The life following Christ is not easy. But I can tell you after being a Christian since 1985, it is worth it. Good days, bad days. We've had them all. We've had them this week. You know? They happen. So let's look at these next two verses and see what is the price that Peter was going to have to pay for his restoration and for following Christ. Verses 18 and 19, starting verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Verse 18 gives us the truth regarding aging. We don't have the same abilities that we used to have when we get older sometimes. And Jesus uses this analogy to make a point regarding Peter 
in his upcoming death later in his life. The type of death Peter would have to face. Jesus tells Peter that when he was young, he could dress as he wanted. He could go without wherever he wanted. He had no physical restrictions. He could do whatever he wanted to do. Wasn't that glorious in your life when you had that ability to just do whatever you wanted to do? You had no restrictions. There was no family. You could just do whatever you wanted to do. But now he will no longer be able to walk wherever he wants to go. Jesus is going to direct where, pe where Peter is going to go. Jesus will dress him. Peter will be required to be obedient to Jesus' direction in his life. Even into places Peter will not necessarily want to go. Even to the detail of his death. In verse 19, John explains that when says when John explains when Jesus says Peter will stretch out his arms, he means that Peter is going to be crucified to death. Peter will face the same humiliating, painful death as Jesus. Now, some of you may have heard and may believe that Peter was crucified upside down. And even though that might be true, there's really no scriptural evidence of that being true. Now, it's possible he did. But it doesn't say that in scripture. So let's just live with where we're at right now in scripture, that he is going to be crucified the same as the one whom he denied three times. But now he is restored. He is going to glorify God in his death. He is going to be obedient to Jesus. He's going to be putting himself in his comfort aside, and he's going to endure a horrifying death in order to glorify Jesus, his Savior, who restored him. Are you willing to be obedient to Christ, even to the point of suffering greatly in your death to his glory? This is another question I wish I would be able to tell you emphatically. Yes, I want to. And I do want to. I do want to. And I hope that I will. But let's just face it. Death is ugly. Many times it is painful. I've watched many people close to me die or at least suffer to the point of their death from some painful afflictions. My mother was the only one that I know of who died in her sleep. And honestly, we don't really even know if that was true because no one was in the room with her when she died overnight. Death is ugly. My dad's death was ugly. I've had pastors that mentored me who died and their death was ugly. Friends, young and old, death in this world is ugly. And it is ugly because if, if you're a Christian, when we, if we did not have the hope of heaven ahead of us, it would be terrible. It would be something that we would be afraid of. It would be something that we would fear. What are we going to have to endure? But we are Christians. And we do have the hope of heaven ahead of us. That no matter what we suffer here on this earth, it is temporary. And heaven is eternal. The glory 
of heaven is eternal. So the lesson for us is that our life following Christ is to glorify him even unto death. That is the price of following your Savior and Lord. Do you see why you have to have a right relationship with Jesus to endure what you have ahead of you in your life? Paul states this in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to, re to be revealed to us. We will be like, will we be like Peter in the time of death? Will we be willing to die for the glory of Jesus? Will we be faithful and obedient to the end? And at the end of verse 19, Jesus ends his restoration of Peter by affirming Peter's place as Christ's servant shepherd by saying, follow me. Jesus says this to Peter to invite him to take a walk on a beach with him, which Matt will talk about next week. This is a restoration of his friendship. Jesus and Peter walking on the beach, having a conversation together. This is, this is a beautiful moment. Don't forget that. But there is more to it than this. There is more to it than this. This is not just about taking a walk on the beach with Jesus, which we all I can't wait until we get to heaven and we can all take a walk on the beach together. Can you imagine the size of that beach? I mean, all of the Christians in the world, I mean, it's going to be millions of us. We're all walking on the beach with Jesus. It's going to be awesome. Just think of that. It sounds absurd, but all of us together worshiping Christ wherever it is in heaven. It's just, I can't wait. I can't wait. I was telling the guys this. This is off, off my script here, but I was telling the guys this. I had a little chance to see heaven, if you will, in, uh, in October of 1996, when I went to a Promise Keepers event, and um, I went there, and it was a, their pinnacle thing, if you will, that they did, and they invited, they wanted to have a million men in the mall of Washington, D.C. I have a picture of an overhead shot of this in our basement, and our downstairs at our house, if you're ever over there, if you want to see it, I'll show it to you, and I'll, I'll point to where we were. And we had like 15 guys, we rented an RV, and we went out to Washington, D.C. to participate in this, because we didn't want to miss this event. And, uh, and we got there, and we drove 30-some hours straight to get there. And we were dead tired. We think we're tired now. I'll tell you what, we were way more tired then than we are now. And then it was eight hours of worship with a million men and their sons and their fathers, every tribe and nation that was in the United States, was represented there. It was amazing. And my friend um, said, you know what, I did not drive 30 hours to stand in the back because we, we kind of were standing in the back. And so we walked all the way around up towards the front. And when they were listening, so when we had the worship music and all the songs that they were playing, and we were standing up front, and we could hear the band playing, and we were in tune with them because we were within like 40 or 50 feet maybe of the stage if my memory serves me correct, which maybe it doesn't. But the cool thing was is that about a quarter of a mile, that's how big, maybe even bigger as far as I can tell, behind us were the other men. And as we were singing the next verse, 
from the rear comes the first verse. The power of heaven is beyond our imagination. To worship the Lamb of God with all of the saints is not something that you want to miss. And this is what Jesus is promising Peter. He promises us that we have a restored relationship with him. That we have the promise of heaven ahead of us. We will be forgiven. Our relationship will be restored. And so, Jesus says, follow me. It's open-ended. He doesn't say, follow me down the beach. He doesn't say, follow me to the grocery store. He doesn't say, follow me to the tire store. He says, follow me. Open-ended. Just like when God called Abraham and said, go, leave your home, and I will show you where you are, where you're going to go once you get there. We don't know where we're going when we say, yes, I will follow you. But are you ready to follow him wherever he takes you, no matter where that is? And if you're here this morning, and you think, gosh, I have sinned. Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with me. My life has been horrible. You do not know. You cannot say. Let me tell you. I may not have lived to your very detail of your life, but I do know what it's like to be separated from him. And I do know what it's like to live with him. And you do not want to live without him. And this picture of Jesus restoring Peter is open to everyone here today who hears this message. So if you are here and you feel as though Christ has left you, he is pursuing you today. He's asking you, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me? What is your answer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I thank you, God, for the ability to be restored to you. That there is nothing, nothing that we can do that you can't heal, that you can't restore. All we have to do is say, yes, Lord, I do love you. I want to follow you. I pray, God, that if there is someone here this morning who is dealing with the feeling that they have been humiliated and removed from you and cannot pursue a relationship with you, Lord, I pray, God, that this would be you pursuing them and they would turn to you as Peter did and say, yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. And you would tell them, follow me. Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we come this morning to the Lord's table, this leads us directly here. Because this is what this is really all about. Being reconciled with Christ through the breaking of his, his body on the tree, his Death on the cross represented in the bread. The shedding of his blood for our forgiveness of sin 
in the juice. Then when we come and partake of this table and the elements here, it's a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. I ask you, before you come to the table this morning, to examine yourself, to look inside your heart. Is there anything, anything in there that you are holding ahead of him? And I ask that before you come, give it up. Ask Jesus to take that away and put him first in your life. Fathers, mothers, just know that it is going to be difficult for you, if not impossible, to lead your families correctly if your relationship with Christ is not right. If he is not first, how can you lead? That's true of pastors. That's true of anybody. We cannot lead if Christ is not first. He must be first, and we must be right with him for us to lead others. So when you're ready, after you've examined yourself, come. We also have the two blue buckets for any offering that you want to give today. It's another way of showing Jesus who's first in your life by your finances. What's the first check or the first dollar that you give every month or every week or every day? Is it to him or is it to some other thing that you put ahead of him? This is your opportunity to give to him. If you're not a believer this morning, then this table is for believers. I ask you to examine yourself and who Christ is in your life. And if you need to be reconciled to him, then come see me or Matt or someone else, Dennis, anyone here that you know loves Jesus and they can help you. But when you're ready, come. <laughs>